You are listening to Prickly and Blooming, brought to you by LaJoy Society. And now, your hostess, Jessie Browning. All right, all right, all right. Hey, everyone. I just want to take a minute before we get started to talk about, you know, when the universe keeps like putting something in front of you and it keeps coming up and somebody's like, hey, have you seen Schitt's Creek? And it's happened for like the 1700th time. I just, I just want to say I got the message, everyone. I, I'm, um, I will get to it. I promise. <laughs> no less than 2,700 people in my life have asked me, have you watched Schitt's Creek? Did you watch Schitt's Creek? Schitt's Creek? Schitt's Creek? Schitt's Creek? Schitt's Creek? I watched one episode during something, Christmas or something, and I loved it. I will get back to it. I know. I know I love it. I love Catherine O'Hara. I have since Home Alone. Right? That's, yep. Yeah. And then, um, and then Eugene Levy. I'm trying to remember when I first fell in love with him. I can see the character when he was, he's played, I mean, he has been pretty typecast. Um, I'm going to stop talking about him and her and the actors of the show because I haven't seen it. But I just want to have this pronouncement to the universe. I got the message. I will watch Shit's Creek. I just haven't put time to watching TV in my life right now. <laughs> and I will hopefully have time to put to watching entertaining TV someday. It's not in the season I'm in right now. So you can stop giving me the message. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> okay. Enough. Enough about me. Uh, do you know when that happens? You know, you know, and it always gets you to watch it because I'm like, okay, it's coming at me from everywhere. I will get on this as soon as I, as soon as I have time. <laughs> um, okay. So this week, Allison, I could have talked to Allison for hours about small business. Um, you know that about me possibly if you've listened to the show for a little while that I'm an entrepreneur and sometimes the show will let me cross paths with other entrepreneurs. And I get really excited because being an entrepreneur is very lonely. Let's, do you guys want to hear about that for a second? You don't have colleagues <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur. You don't have staff meetings. Well, no, you do. But like, they're, okay, you don't have, like when, when it's, everyone's going out afterward, you don't go. <laughs> like you have bound, well, I please like have boundaries, you know, with your staff. <laughs> it's just like a different experience, right? To be a leader in, in, in your own organization. And it's kind of lonely. Oh, it sounds so corny. Like, it's lonely at the tip, but it is. So when I come across another entrepreneur, I want to be like, can we talk for like two hours about what this is like? Because other entrepreneurs, those are my colleagues. Does that make sense? Those are the people I work with. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know them, but those are the people that I consider colleagues. Not, and, and if anybody who works for me is listening to this, that doesn't mean you're not important to me. It just means I like to have good boundaries. <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't consider myself part of the same team as you. It's just that I like to have good boundaries. <laughs> and I don't want to talk to people in the organization about what it's like to run the organization, you know? Like that's for me to ruminate and think and worry about, not for you. You're here to show up and rock and roll on, you know, and work. You don't have to worry about the things that like, oh, so I work with my husband, but again, that's not really a colleague situation. That's my husband, you know? Okay, I digress. Let's get back to Allison. Allison, 
uh you're gonna love what she does if are you a working mom like me are you gonna work mm-hmm, yeah go listen to her episode because you're gonna love what she does and then maybe you know sign up to be part of her company um ends and stems okay and she brings up like i had never i've never worked in a um like Mm, like a a big sort of kitchen like she did. And I've been thinking a lot about food waste since she started talking about it. Um, And other people are like, oh, welcome to the, you know, ruminating thought network of food waste because it's a huge, huge, huge waste. Um, So I'm so happy that Allison is doing her part to help, you know, reduce that. Um, and then of course she has a, it's not, you know, about the food waste right now. It it is, but it's also about her story and what got her to do, you know, this work and this business and what gets her to follow her passion. Um, so have you given a gnome its hat? (laughs) When you rate the show, a gnome gets its hat. Every time there's stars or a review written, a gnome somewhere in those in this world, poof, a hat appears on its head and it becomes a gnome. I don't know what it's before. It, it doesn't. Gnomes aren't gnomes until they have a hat. I mean, right? So then, when they get that that fully completes their gnome process, what are they before that? They're just like a gremlin. There's some sort of gremlin that lives in the woods. So once they get a hat, they become a gnome. So write the show so a gnome can get its hat. Okay, let's go meet Allison. All right, this afternoon I have Allison with me. Hi, Allison. Hi. Wait, we we started talking about. Do you go by Allison? Yeah, I do go by Allison. Um, okay, but people who know me call me Allie. So okay. um, both. I'm comfortable with both. Okay, good. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we always start with what I, what I call like, what's a little bit to know about you before we know a lot about you, <laughs> before we really get to know you. So what would you like to share with us um, before we hear your story? Well, it's so, uh, the, what's the most important thing to know? I'm a chef okay, and I'm an entrepreneur. I have mm-hmm. um, two young kids, a kindergartner and a three-year-old. That okay. feels important because they um, are larger than life and take up mm-hmm. all my time. Uh-huh. I like to make things with my hands. And, um, Very cool. I'm famous for saying I'm bored. So I always oh. like to fill my time with more things. Or for you're famous for not being bored. Both. I say okay. I'm, <laughs> I scare people. I, it started with my dad when I was a kid and now with my husband. If I say mm-hmm. I'm bored, they know mm-hmm. that something is coming. So... I think um, I think they would be impressed that I don't let myself get bored or last in the state of being bored for too long. But it does start with the phrase, I'm bored. And then they're like, oh. And then they're like, hang on tight. <laughs> Here comes something. Exactly. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Exactly. Got it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, my friend has a saying, and it's like from her granny, and only boring people are bored. And I'm always like the biggest eye roll if she listens. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, I definitely I'm, don't sit around in the state of boredom yeah. too long, yeah. but it's like my reaction to feeling that way is to say mm. it out loud that I'm like, hmm, what are we going to do here? Oh, that's interesting. I bet a lot of people are like, uh-huh, me too. Yeah. yeah. Are we going to oh, go somewhere? That. Is it going to be a yeah. project? Yeah, like the word is like a, um, what's the word? Now the, the word bored is an, um, in, it's like a, 
announcement of, yeah, of like activity, a, right? I guess not, exactly, not a, a statement of exactly. a catalyst. That's the word. Yeah. Yes. Not a statement of like, but it's more of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> exactly. Got, exactly. Got it. I have a husband like that, honestly. <laughs> he never said I'm bored, but he's like, yeah, he's just a go. Anyway. All right. Enough. <laughs> so now that we know a little bit about you, let's start with your story. And I'd love to start in you know, an un- uncontextualized, <laughs> that's, that's real proper English, <laughs> moment where you can identify, and it's usually with hindsight, you know, that things change for you, that your path turned, that, you know, you could say, oh, this, this can't be my life. This just, just not this. Just, you know, what's your, what's your moment? I think the one that stands out the most was right after college, I had a sales job. And I remember just knowing that that was not what I needed to be doing, but I did it for the money and because I everything just felt blank after college. I wasn't sure what to do. Like they had somebody had described the path for me. You you do well in school. You show up. You're engaged. You go to a good college. But then the narrative just stopped. I didn't know what came next. Mm-hmm. So I got a whatever job and moved to San Francisco so I wouldn't be bored. And that worked. It was a lot of fun, but I knew I needed, I wanted to dig into something, but I just didn't know what, and I didn't know how to figure it out. And this was 2004. So it was the era of monster.com, if if any Mm -hmm. contemporaries listening. Mm -hmm. So I was really obsessed with this idea that you had to choose your job listings from a drop down list Uh and I would go through and just look at the categories and say not that one not that one not that one and I couldn't even figure out what category I was supposed to be in Mm -hmm. and the start of it was coming home one day and I couldn't get my keys in the lock and they fell to the floor and I just started crying like having a total just meltdown meltdown Mm -hmm. And it was a little while after that, I was like, that's not normal, or maybe it's actually very normal, but it's not the way I want to live my life. Right. And I knew I needed to change something. So the funny moment was actually going back to my sales job where I, I wore a little headset and I talked to people and um, I actually Googled, what do I do with my life? <laughs> and Google gave me the answer. This is the best because I've had other people say they've Googled like things. I forget what it was like. Uh, how do I divorce? Something like I just love. I love this. Google but delivered. Got, they delivered. I okay. got the answer. Tell us the answer. So it was in the form of an article from Forbes, I believe. Okay. Um, but it was some sort of business journal and it was a roundup and it said the top 10 fastest growing small businesses of 2004. And I looked at the list and number three or four on the list was personal chef service. Mm -hmm. And cooking had been a hobby of mine since I was, you know, a preteen watching Food Network, you know, Mm -hmm. on my couch. And I never really tried to cook all that much, a little bit here and there. And my mom had some connection with cooking, but I didn't see it ever as a career. It was just Mm -hmm. a hobby. It was a thing I did. But Mm -hmm. personal chef service was something I had never heard of before. And the description of it was something to the effect of most personal chefs work for themselves. They have their own businesses. They don't have professional restaurant training. Mm -hmm. And the industry is on fire. Everybody's hiring them. We can't get enough personal chefs. And immediately the idea of working for myself and putting together the puzzle 
of business, which I only had the mm-hmm. vaguest sense of what that meant at the time, but yep. instantly <laughs> I was attracted to it and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I can work for myself. People want this. It has the word chef in the title and I could cook. Mm-hmm. And it sort of then matched up with the idea of taking your career and turning it into your business, which mm-hmm. may or may not be a good idea. I'm not sure <laughs> I recommend that, but it yeah. is a thing people say. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to me. And I remember in that moment, I probably then did another quick cross-reference of what a personal chef is. But within five minutes, I knew that I would go become a personal chef. And my dad, who I um, am close to, and he and I talk all the time, certainly about big decisions. We always joke he's actually my silent partner in my business (laughs) because it's just me, so I always bounce things off him. I remember immediately putting my incoming sales calls on hold so nobody could call me. And I called him, and I'm like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to go to culinary school and be a personal chef. And he was like, okay. Okay. And then he thought about it and agreed that that sounded sound. And I quit three days later. I took a week off and went to culinary school about two weeks later. And then a couple – I did wait a couple months into culinary school to start my business, but Mm -hmm. I didn't finish school first. I got my first personal chef gig which it was personal chef plus. I also had to walk the dog and water the plants. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but that. they paid me to cook their dinner and plan it and do all of that. Um, so it was technically my first personal chef gig within a couple months after that. And then I was oh. off to the races. Oh, that's amazing. So I wrote down something that has come up a couple times in the show and I want to hear your version of it. So it sounds like you were living the prescribed life, I like to call it, you know, like, here's your prescription, you're going to graduate high school, you're going to go to this college, and maybe even it's directed of like this college, you know, you're going to then get a job, you'll start at a junior level, da, 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 da. And then people all of a sudden, like you yes. said, are like, well, now what the fuck? You yes. know, and like, I was checking, like it's like list checking, checking the boxes. Where did your prescribed life, like, yeah. is that something that you, I mean, it's pretty much what you said, but tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I think it's at least a, you know, middle class, upper middle class, suburban, Mm -hmm. your parents either went to college or came close to going to college, Mm -hmm. sort of prescribed life for sure. So it was, you know, work hard, do well, go to a good school, have opportunities, you will work, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that it came from my parents, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a combination of my parents who were very, very different, are very, very different. My Mm -hmm. Mom was a stay-at-home mom and isn't struggled. She, you know, she hopefully will never listen to this, but <laughs> if she did, um, you know, she couldn't. She had mental illness. She couldn't really hold down a job. She didn't work. But also, I remember in one of her most lucid moments, I must have made some fun of her. I said something very disparaging about mm-hmm. what she did or didn't do, mm-hmm. and. Instead of yelling at me or throwing something at my head, which would have been a very common response normally, she actually took me for a walk around the neighborhood. I was maybe seven or eight. And she told me how when she was growing up in the 50s and 60s, a woman could be educated but also aspire to having a family and being a mom. And that was very common. And that was her prescribed life. And that was Mm -hmm. what she always wanted. And that's what she got. Mm -hmm. And... But she did say, you know, you're growing up in a different time. Women Mm -hmm. are 
can be more powerful and, you know, women can do whatever they want to do. You can do whatever men can do. You'll do whatever your brother does. And most importantly, you can do whatever you want. Um, but it still for her was very tied to the classic performance indicators. Like, do you get straight A's? Do you go to, you know, do you graduate? Are you a quote unquote, like good child, Mm -hmm. um, you know, by falling in line and and doing that. So it came from her in that sense. And Mm -hmm. I think my dad is, you know, also of that era, but in me, at least, he definitely has always encouraged me to do whatever I want to do, reach higher, you know, and has always been one of my biggest supporters and not really falling into the classic gender role trap of, That's good. you know, yeah. what you should do or not. But also for him, it came back to, and his is a little less like education focused. My mom mm-hmm. was more the one who was like, you get a good education on paper So you have a certificate that hangs on the wall and nobody can doubt it. And my dad was in other ways smarter. My dad was a little less, I mean, my dad's also book smart, but like he's more society smart, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. a, he's a salesperson originally, he's a business owner. So my dad's also very successful socially and networking with people. So he sort of saw both sides of it where going to school both meant, you know, you show up for class and you get good grades. But in his book, like if you also could skip that class and get good grades and do something else that was important, (laughs) then then that's a little bit okay. But his definition of success was more like you just can't get caught doing that. You have to. (laughs) So he was there was a little more room in there for being an individual, for being creative and for having kind of the more complete picture. But combined, the story was definitely you will go to school, you will Mm -hmm. go to a good college, which they defined broadly. It was not like you must go to. Yeah, there was no, you know, familial connection. Nobody was donating to colleges or anything like that. So um, there was no family school that I had to go to, but um, it was definitely go to college. But they stopped there, which is always just what's so funny to me. Nobody said Uh what would come after that. Uh Uh-huh. Somebody, this was a very distinct moment. I remember uh, it was... Oh, I can't remember her name. I can I can see her mind of, of the episode where she said she had like a panic attack when she was packing up leaving college because she's like, I don't know what to do next. Yeah. I honestly I, don't even know where to go next. You know? That was absolutely how I felt, except mm-hmm. I solved it with where to go. So I ended up going to college in New York City mm-hmm. and I couldn't stay in New York. I loved New York. I loved living there. I had two roommates I had lived with for years. I loved them. We were having a lot of fun. They both were in um, writing and editing. They both had jobs already. Mm -hmm. And I just was panicked. I didn't love anything. I did not know Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. And immediately I thought, must go on adventure. And Mm -hmm. I moved to San Francisco from New York because I thought, if I don't know what I want to do, at least I can go to Where California. I, I had never really even been to California. I thought that sounds exotic, cool, different, fun. And at least my the rest of my life outside of work will feel like an adventure. So at least I'm sort of halfway there. So that's how yeah. I ended up moving and leaving New York was for that adventure right. purpose. And I, it, I suppose it's very important to my story to fold in that at the time I had a long distance relationship he was in school in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and I was in New York. 
And he was like, I'll go to California with you. (laughs) So we moved to California together. Very, I mean, we were committed to each other and and really enjoyed being with each other, but we didn't really have a lot of conversation about how serious this was. It was just very fun and easy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have since married him. (laughs) So that hasn't worked out, which is perhaps one of the parts of my life that always most blows my mind, actually. Oh, that's interesting. I want to ask about that, but I wanted to know, what did you get your degree in? Anthropology. Anthropology, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, because I was Which, like, what did you, what, I mean, what did you think you were going to do? How about that? Nothing. So, <laughs> Got it. <laughs> my, this was, again, my dad's influence when I had to uh-huh. choose my major. You know, I went through the first two years of uh, liberal arts education, just taking kind of the basics and stuff like that. And his mm-hmm. advice was to stay interested and, you know, see if you can figure out what to do. And then the school delivered a major packet. So it was a book that was, you know, an inch and a half thick with all the majors that they offered. So he said, well, if you can't figure it out, go through the book and read all of them and then just choose the one that sounds the best to you. So when I called back and I was like, I've chosen, I've chosen anthropology. He was like, I said, read the whole book, not the A's. (laughs) And I swear to you, I did read that whole book. book. I really, truly went through every single major and um, I I liked anthropology. And to this day, I like anthropology. I think it's very fascinating. In no way do I regret choosing that as a major. I don't think choosing communications would have been any more practical or led me to a job any better. Um, Communications degree. Yeah. But hey, look at you, look at you using it, right? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I put, yeah, no. I mean, I... You need a was, degree on the wall behind you, I think. Uh, <laughs> so funny you say that. with a communications or, degree. Funny you say that. Um, I own coffee shops and one time on the decoration of one of my shops like a dozen years ago, I had all the staff bring their diplomas and we hung them up on the wall. That's amazing. I was like, look, because we had like... Um, master's degrees, bachelor's degrees, like we had all sorts of, and it was like, awesome. let's all hang them up because everyone's always like, what are we doing with them? Yeah. But communications, I, I consider it now, it's just a very, I don't know, it's a liberal arts degree at this point. It was a, yeah. I wanted to be a film and television major and I didn't have that. So the only film and television classes were in the communications department. Makes yeah. sense. I guess the podcasting is the closest thing to it now, but it that's is. It's more than 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> and I have not been in the industry uh, since then. But so, okay. Oh my God, I love it. I, I loved that um, your dad was like, pass the A's. Pass the A's. He said, read the whole book. Book. And you're like, I did. <laughs> I just kept okay, coming so, back to it. It was very yeah. interesting. I, I enjoyed right. it very much. So if you are packing up and you're leaving school and you have a, like, maybe you're not totally aware of it, but you have like kind of a panic of like, what am I doing now? Yeah. And you've decided to like choose adventure, which I left home and, went somewhere far away after college as well. So I get this. <laughs> this is going to sound funny. It's like, what did you think you were going to do when you got to, you know, the West Coast? Yeah. And then what actually happened I with think, your life? I think the um, the adventure of it mm-hmm. filled a lot of the holes of what I thought I would do. I, mm-hmm. I kind of let myself just say, well, like, I'm pretty employable Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll love it. In fact, I'm terrified that I won't, but I will just focus on the fun and the adventure and just mm-hmm. keep trying to figure it out. So as soon as I decided to move to San Francisco and um, Ryan decided to come with me, it's just seemed all fun at that mm-hmm. point that I was able to relax a little bit more about not knowing what 
the future would hold because mm-hmm. it seemed like I, we would just be okay. He had a teaching degree and was pretty easily able to get a job as a teacher. So before, if we graduated in May-ish, he was able to get a job by July. So cool. we knew that one of the two of us had a job and I just figured I would have, I had worked since I was 15 years old mm-hmm. and I thought I would work at a coffee shop or yep. I would scoop ice cream. Somebody would hire me to do something. I was a good I was a good student, you know, I yeah. showed up, I would never have been late, I would tow the company line, so I knew I would get hired to do something, mm-hmm. and that we would probably be okay, and the plan was just to explore and have fun doing it, so I actually don't remember feeling as anxious once we made that decision, it was really something about staying in New York, and all of my, you know, well-educated friends now going on to their quote-unquote careers, mm-hmm. And not knowing what that would be for me. But as soon as I was leaving, I was much more relaxed about it. So when I got to San Francisco, I had a job interview on Mon- from Monster.com. Oh. But I didn't choose a category. What I chose was actually like a headhunter. Okay. So it was a staffing agency. And the day after we got here, I had the interview with the staffing agency. And I told them that I was interested in the part of anthropology that I really loved was physical anthropology. So human evolution, who are we, where did we come from? And there was also some genetics and physiology and all that stuff in there. So I must have mentioned that I was interested in that. I had briefly considered being a genetic counselor, which I think is super fascinating. Mm -hmm. Never went much further into it besides just the uh, one pager on what a genetic counselor does. But I must have mentioned that and they got me an interview at a job that does cord blood banking. And that was the sales job that I ended up getting hired for. And you kept it for a while, right? I kept it for 13 months. Okay. 13 months. So it was within that year that I did it for a while. I gave it a shot Mm -hmm. and I, I knew that I needed to decide what my next step would be. And I was, I got obsessed with the idea of my next step being the first step of the rest of my life in a way. I didn't <sighs> I didn't want to leave that job just to get another whatever job. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be the first step towards what I would always focus on. I just had this very romantic idea that you had to choose something and it had to be the right thing. And I I was just really until until I googled it, I really was struggling. I did all the workbooks. I mean, the what color is your oh. parachute? I don't know if oh, people still do that, but that was really popular back oh. then, and it would just guide you through all these thought exercises. And so, you know, I I did the work, mm-hmm. and maybe that's how I knew by the time I did Google it that I, it was what the it, right thing because I did do all of the I put in mm-hmm. all of the effort. Um, mm-hmm. But it I was love- it took a little while. I interviewed someone recently and we talked about, and it sounds just the similar thing of like the inner knowing, you know, the, the, the Glennon Doyle, if you will, it's in there. We just don't know how to listen to it quite right. often. Right. <laughs> like uh, our gut, our instinct, like this is the, that's the biggest thing that I've learned from like counseling or therapeutic situations or um, the last five years has been like trusting my gut trusting my brain, trusting yeah. my heart, trusting my knowing. I would even, you know, that that would be like a catch-all term for it. And I, I, could we just start like a preschool? Yeah. 
<laughs> curriculum of this. And I mean, I know as a parent, I really do. Like I will have one of my children close their eyes, not look at me or anyone and be like, now tell me what you want to say, you know, because yeah, like they get distracted, they get overwhelmed and they're, they just want to say what just to get out of it. And I'm like, no, close your eyes, put your hand like, so I'm trying to do it with my children because right. I just, it just keeps coming up that women, we, we know something somewhere in our being, but we're not listening to it and we don't right. know how to listen to it. It sounds like you found it. I think sometimes too, you don't. And Google. <laughs> Google found it. Yeah. I think sometimes we don't know also, we don't have a firm, mm-hmm. tangible vision of what it is. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I'll know the pieces around it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't add up to something that I can choose from a drop-down list or yep. it doesn't add up to something I can point to and say that, you know? Right. It's not like, oh, I'm in the mood for ice cream, I choose that. It's more like, I want something cold and creamy and uh-huh. sweet, but maybe a little salty in there too, too. But you don't know the word for ice cream, so you can't quite point to the thing. Totally. So it's the bits around it. And I think one of those exercises that I did was to describe what you want your day to be like. And I know mm-hmm. I've since worked with many business coaches and I know business coaches send you through this same process or even probably life coaches too, where you you map out your perfect day and you mm-hmm. don't know exactly what you're describing. Maybe you don't know what career you're describing or what service you're going to offer, but you map out how you want to feel and what type of activities you want to do, what type of schedule you want to have. So you don't, it sort of guides you through, you know, roughing out the picture without needing to feel like you just know how to skip to the end and say, oh, I want to be a doctor because Mm -hmm. we don't know that. And especially if you're trying to you know, create a life that's a little bit different, that isn't mm-hmm. one of those boxes, it's harder to to figure out what that looks like. One of my friends is a, t- a teacher, and one of the classes that she teaches her high school students is college and career. Mm. And they all had to choose a career mm-hmm. that they wanted to be and then do a whole write-up and a whole report on it. And she, at first, was really angry that one kid said he wanted to be a YouTube star, Oh yeah, and, that'll be. I can't believe it was only one kid. But go ahead. And I was like, "Well, great. That's yeah. a job. Tell him to do the work." And you know, having chosen something from the drop-down menu as a teacher, she hadn't been thinking about a YouTube creator as an actual mm-hmm. job for the moment. I was like, mm-hmm. "He needs a thousand people to follow him before he can monetize his YouTube page. Mm-hmm. What's going to be his hook? How's he going to do the branding? Who's his audience? Like, what's his and." We had this amazing conversation. She's like, oh my gosh, he he chose a real career and was able to then go back to him and have him do the assignment as a YouTube influencer. I will say at the end, he decided not to be a YouTube influencer. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she scared him away from it because it was, you know, oh, I choose, I want to be a professional athlete. Well, okay, map it out. You know, it can be a right. real thing if we just recognize that you can kind of put the pieces together in a way. What I can from a report back from my uh, informal polling of, of conversations I've had with women is there is a, a slight generational thing to this as well. Um, it's like gig culture and remote w- working, which now we've all been exposed to in the last year, but I know previously, I know there were a lot, of, but you don't go into an office, you know, right. kind of questions like, but, and there's a, a work 
in a big, big word work. And I'm like quoting is like going right. through a major transition that before COVID happened. And now with COVID, it's a big transition. I be interesting to see what happens, like where we are five years from now and be like, Oh, remember how many people actually worked in an office back then? Right. Like office space is about to be real cheap or so, you know, like something's about to happen. And I know for me, like just even 20, Five. <laughs> between 20 and 25 years ago I remember my father saying like you've had so many jobs you've had so many jobs you've had more jobs than I've had in my entire life right and of course he's what his life changed after that but but there was this expectation his prescribed life was get a job right out of high school and you're a career man like right. and you just do that forever right and so there was a lot of dissonance between you know him and I when I was like a teenager and in my 20s where I was like but dad I don't know anybody who does that anymore right like I, I, everyone that I know works at a coffee shop and they have, and like I'm, I'm in this world. I don't right. know. Like they're, they're, it's kind of not happening. And now it's been 20 years and it's like, right. it's happened. Even true. corporate, I see my dad mm-hmm. advising my much younger stepsister who's mm-hmm. in, she works in tech and, you know, very mm-hmm. modern way to work. But in his mind, in a, you know, almost, he's almost 70 and has always mm-hmm. had a corporate career. Mm-hmm. she shouldn't jump around too often or uh-huh. he's learning because I think because I didn't go down this path he didn't learn this with me my my brother who's closer to my age didn't go down this path so they didn't learn it so he's kind of watching my mm-hmm. you know 28 year old stepsister go through this but she's you know every two years she changes job and she makes way more money and she gets a better fit and every one of my friends who has been in some sort of corporate job for the last mm-hmm. 20 years does it that way. And companies no longer look at your resume and say, oh, you changed jobs seven times mm-hmm. because that's what everybody does. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the generation before us, they really did it. They would see that as you I can't see, hold a job or yep. what's wrong with you, you're not loyal. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it goes anymore. Yeah, everyone, just catch up. <laughs> yeah, It really is. And I think that, that that's, we're changing the prescription again, you know? Right. Yeah, I'm really careful about how I talk to my kids, too. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I've read parenting recommendations that you don't ask them what they want to be when they grow up. I don't either. I think it's a dumb question. (laughs) I do like to talk about what you would like to do or... Uh, uh um, What brings you joy? My We adopted a COVID kitten and my Mm -hmm. daughter and the cat are obsessed with each other. They are soulmates. And Mm -hmm. she now says when she grows up, she wants to take care of kittens and make sure they all have a loving home. And Mm -hmm. so she's sort of the one that brought it up. But we talk about it as you could do that as a hobby. You could do that to make money. You could do that to volunteer. There are lots of ways that that can look. And that might be one of the many things that you do. So I like to talk about doing things and being Mm -hmm. involved, but not necessarily you know, in that old prescribed way, Actually, as you say, you will yeah. be a veterinarian or, yes. you know, it doesn't have to look like that. Right. When I she was might just six, be a crazy cat lady and adopt yeah. like 97 cats. She could be a YouTube cat influencer. <laughs> look at that. Done. Yeah, your cat, yeah. <laughs> I remember I was in sixth grade and the, the teacher went around the room and asked everybody what they wanted to be. And I stood up and said, comedian. Amazing. <laughs> Which is not the most funniest thing ever in sixth grade. And she was like, that's not a real job. Pick something else. And I was like, uh veterinarian because that's what like seven of the other girls in the class said I have zero interest in being a veterinarian like had then had now I'm not one of those girls you know but I I, I, bizarre I remember that to this day that was sixth grade I was 12 you know I'm 41 now I remember her name too a real job 
Isn't that funny though? I think that like if I had become a comedian, there's my first joke of somehow, right? you know, like <laughs> she was like, no, pick something real. And I was like, um, I love that. I thought mm-hmm. so. Anyway. So I'm like, let's, I'm going to pull us back into when you have decided, you know, that you've Googled. <laughs> Cause I feel like we're up to now your Google, yes. your Google. Let's, let's get back into when you've Googled and you've found this answer. And you, so you put those sales called on hold. I put them on you know, hold. Called dad. Called dad said, I think I'm doing this and mm-hmm. or rather I know I'm doing this. Are you married by this point? No, okay. no, we were just right it, out just of college. So okay, cool. we got married eight years later okay. or whatnot. Maybe not eight, maybe okay. five. Who could remember? Yeah, something. <laughs> three or six. I didn't know you were going to ask the hard questions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I I went to culinary school. I looked up mm-hmm. culinary schools. I okay. wanted to go to culinary school because I wanted to learn to run this as a business, and mm-hmm. I wanted to commit to it. I was craving that you know that process of building and really yep. committing to something and. Also, culinary school sounded like the most fun ever. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. I enjoyed culinary school immensely. It was super fun. And I, so I started, you know, culinary school is if you pay your bill, you get to go. They, you can start right away. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started um, a few weeks later and went to culinary school, loved it, started kind of building out the idea for a personal chef service, started networking a little bit got one customer, which was, you know, school was pretty full time. So I was able to have one customer for a while. But then towards the end of school, I started trying to figure out, you know, what is this business like? Who do I, who will hire me and how will I find them? And, you know, how do I put magnetic signs on the side of my car that says Mm -hmm. what I do? Mm -hmm. And then I joined a little association called like the uh, United States Personal Chef Association. And they, gave you little binders on pricing and it was basically like a, you know, personal chef service in a binder. So I started out that way and, and just started kind of figuring it out, figuring out what my brand was like. And, and then I was, you know, really into building a business too. So I started reading up on what that looks like. And I Mm -hmm. hadn't thought of business as sole proprietor. Mm -hmm. I had thought of business as big, yeah, like business, big business. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that much about really small businesses. Even mm-hmm. though my dad was a business owner, he had a really big company and it was a company. You know, it mm-hmm. was not just my dad doing business. Right. Like the way right. that mine is now um, or even my brother's business is now too. So I started learning about that. I started reading all the books. There, I think there was a bad girl's guide to starting a business or like <laughs> any of those like silly nice. books. The E-Myth and all these different things. And, um, you know, I started kind of growing it from there. And it was fun. I really liked doing it. It was hard. I remember setting up my phone number and, oh, man, this is like so old. I had a landline for my business. Uh And I just remember calling it to make sure it was, I put the numbers down correctly because nobody was (laughs) calling me. And that, you know, super sad moment that's, so adorable now when that I think is of pretty, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally adorable. A landline too. Like, is this thing on? Yeah, hello. Hello. <laughs> um, but, you know, it felt like it took a long time. But now, you know, in hindsight, I got customers and started growing it. And every step from there for many years leading to my next, oh, my God, what do I do with my life moment 
mm-hmm. were all very logical. I took on more customers. I hired somebody to help me. I moved into a commercial kitchen so I could cook for more customers at the same time. And mm-hmm. then I hired someone to help me cook. They all just each step along the way. Just And then I started catering, which was a really big change because it was a way to get more business and make more money and grow the business. But it was all very step-by-step and very logical. It was never mm-hmm. specifically mapped out, but at every turn every time an opportunity came up or every time a problem with the business came up the next step was small and very logical to what I was in but that led me all the way to having a kind of a big meal delivery business mm-hmm. um we I maybe did half a million dollars in meal delivery sales very cool out of mm-hmm. a commissary kitchen I had a mm-hmm. couple of delivery drivers and all that mm-hmm. and then the commissary was just I had to share it with other people. Mm-hmm, there, it was mm-hmm. poorly managed. There were like rats in there, but like I couldn't control it because mm-hmm. other companies were there. I didn't have enough space. And it was also interestingly the first time I thought about food waste, which is what I do okay. now, mm-hmm. um, or is a major pillar of what I do now. But and this was maybe 2008 ish, 2007 ish. No, no, it would have been later than that, 2009, because I would estimate, okay, I'm going to cook for 100 people today, mm-hmm. but it's really almost impossible to buy the exact amount of food for 100 people yep. and not have any wasted. And yeah. because I was in a commissary where nobody could walk by, we were like squirreled away in this building, I didn't have a lot to do with the waste. There was uh-huh. there was no Twitter. You couldn't tweet out your leftovers, which is what right. I would do now. So I really started thinking like, how are we going to, how am I going to deal with this excess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got the conclusion I came to at the time was that I needed my own space and it needed to be a retail space so people could walk by and I could sell them the leftovers. Right. So I opened basically a cafe catering kitchen. We did the meal delivery service out of there. But that was a really big change where I actually had my own space and my name on the window. And then we doubled the business and plotted along for a while. But the next like, oh, my God, what do I do moment was... Mm-hmm five years into running that and I just was absolutely burnt down burnt mm-hmm. down bro- burnt yep. out and broken I, down yep yep burnt down <laughs> burnt <laughs> same down. same that was, maybe that was not a mistake yeah um, exactly it just was um I had a business partner in a way we were kind of like sister businesses that shared mm-hmm. the space we were not legally the same business her business actually still exists and is doing really well in a new space but we had products that went together really well, we, but didn't compete, but we would like share the baristas. Mm-hmm. So we would share the walk-in and share the whole space. So mm-hmm. it was a way to afford, you know, the monst- monstrous uh, San Francisco rents by having two businesses in the same space. But almost five years into it, it was just, it was so much. And I had been doing it for so long without a break. It was just like every moment, I wasn't having fun anymore mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't love it anymore and then I actually had uh, my daughter about in 2015 tw- yeah 2015 and for the first time after she was born I actually took like 9 weeks off and didn't nice. set foot in there and I just let them handle it and during that time, I thought about what I wanted from the next like five or 10 mm-hmm. years. The business had reached a point where there were other meal delivery services, but now they were like tech companies backed with 
billions of dollars and right. they were doing delivery in a way that I could never compete with. Right. You and were doing local delivery, correct? We were doing local, but also we were doing like 24 hour notice delivery and you could order on these apps at this point for delivery in 30 minutes. And oh, we wow. just, we couldn't even possibly yeah. compete yeah. with yeah. it. So we, most of our income or revenue was at that point actually then coming from corporate catering. We're doing tons of breakfast, lunches, and dinners. I mean, we would do 40 catering events a week, you know, every single day, just delivering lunches downtown and stuff. And I didn't love that. I didn't really want to be a caterer. And Mm -hmm. my kitchen was a retail location with a bike lane out front. We couldn't pull up a van and put all the food in there. So I catered like a 400-person event for a Microsoft, one of those CEO launches where they tell you what's happening. And it was insanity, like trying to get that out of the kitchen. But I was being hired for those events. They paid a lot, but I needed a I needed to go back to the commissary kitchen with a loading dock and vans. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't have that space. So when I took the time off with my daughter, I just tried to envision what I would do next. And it, that was mm-hmm. the... That was a really, really hard time because I felt like I, in one version or another, had worked on this business for, you know, almost 10 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I worked so hard to get the space open and I still thought that it had so much potential. We were making delicious food. We were good at customer service. There were issues, tons of them, but Mm -hmm. always. I just still had like such love for it in a way. Mm -hmm. And also, a very prescribed thing is the idea of, I forget how the, there's a very nice way to say it, and I forget what it is, but the idea of putting so much time into something and then not wanting to do something else because you're already in your investment so far. So far, yeah. It was like a very catchy way to say that, and I forget what it is. Is it what my husband says? This is so funny. Quit while you're behind. <laughs> Perfect, right? Instead of quit while you're behind. Yeah. He's like, quit while you're behind. Perfect. Yeah, don't try to get ahead. Anyway, <laughs> I, that's actually what I exactly what I kind of ended up doing. Yeah. Um, but I hate the story that. So is it surprising that a lot of like men in business would say to me, "Oh, you can't have this business if you have a baby." That mm. would be always the common, and that is not what happened. Mm. What happened was I got a break, and mm-hmm. once I had my daughter, there was actually some space mm-hmm. and a new way of being new things that needed my Mm -hmm. attention and I no longer wanted to just keep plodding along because that was the path I had set myself on and it was the moment that actually let me like look at the bigger picture of my life and Mm -hmm. say I don't want to feel like this anymore I don't Mm -hmm. want to work all day every day anymore I don't Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um I didn't want that (laughs) where we had come and it's very common in um, service industry, especially in food service, for people to, uh, I mean, it just, the hours are insane. Insane. Uh, insane the, it's seven days a week. You know, it, it just, it's relentless and it's, the monster is going to keep churning. So you have to yeah. be conscious of take, take the time. Anyway, yeah. you know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. From mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Space from it was what let me see that I didn't want to do it uh-huh. anymore. And... You know, it was not the months leading up to that where I would just like go in my car and cry all the time. That didn't <laughs> that didn't Isn't alert that me at funny? all. <laughs> you, you were like, oh, it's pregnancy hormones, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, this is just normal. <laughs> Let me right. go around the block so my staff doesn't see me crying. 
Yeah. Though, I mean, they knew. Half of them were crying in the walk-in, too. It's a, if, yeah. Yeah. if you haven't cried in a walk-in... Walk-in, then are have you, you lived. Even, it's the best place to cry. Have you lived, really? There's usually a snack there, too. Yes. And it's just... An open bottle of wine from something. <laughs> the best place to cry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> keeps your face calm, you know. Yes. <laughs> A little humidity on the face. Perfect. Yeah. Ooh, pug your eyes. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I did, I, I wrote out like three new business plans. How can we save this? What can we do? And probably the best one was, you know, move to a different facility and go with the corporate catering. This is how we're going to do this. I could keep up the same revenue. I could probably even keep grow it. And I just, I didn't want to do it. I, there was no other way to put it. I just was like, there's no I passion in, do in, not in that, want right? This. Yeah. I don't want this business. I don't want to be that. I don't want yeah. these customers. I don't want these employees. I don't want any part of this. Yep. So I decided to sell it. I didn't know if that was the right move until mm-hmm. eight, eight to 10 months after it was done. Mm-hmm. So a year later, it took a year by the time I packaged it up, figured out how to sell it. I did get a broker. The broker mm-hmm. helped me sell it make it happen. And by the time everything was closed up, it was about eight to 10 months later where I finally had this moment. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And I made the right decision. But it, the whole time of going through the process was so hard. I felt like a quitter, a failure. Mm-hmm. I felt embarrassed to even exist. I thought I was going to have to leave the city because I was ashamed of quitting or failing. Mm-hmm. Turns out nobody but me saw it that way. I was yeah. <laughs> I was the only one. Nobody yeah. was going around and being like, look at her. What a failure. Yeah, no. Uh, to sell a business is a huge accomplishment. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is like the, oh, there's like a crown on that for being an entrepreneur, you know, an right, owner operator. That's I live near Silicon Valley, so now I say it was an exit. And, yes, you know, yes, that immediately yes. I'm available to mentor somebody because I had I an exit. It. That, I you know, it. I got yes. my, like, Silicon Valley, like, Girl Scout badge for <laughs> one it. first exit. But it, I didn't feel that way because I wanted so much more for the business. Mm-hmm. And I thought I could do it. And then I just mm-hmm. stopped. Mm-hmm. And I, I bailed on that plan was how it felt to me. And um, now I see that it was really smart. And like your husband said, quit while you're behind. Mm -hmm. There was no reason to continue Mm -hmm. building something I didn't want to run. And um, so that was, that was the end of 2015 when I Mm -hmm. sold it. And so since 2016 and 2016, I briefly got a job at one of the big food tech companies. Mm -hmm. And that was not a great place to work. They, they had a lot of problems but that was where I got really into food waste. So mm-hmm. my job there was ironically both purchasing all the food and throwing away all the leftovers. So you got a real yeah. <laughs> bird's eye. And mm-hmm. their, their business was so similar to mine, mm-hmm. the one that I had just sold, but with many zeros at the end of it. So mm-hmm. if I was cooking... 200 portions on a Monday, they were cooking 2,000 portions on a Monday or even more than that probably. Mm -hmm. It was just huge. So throwing food away at their establishment meant a dumpster on the sidewalk and me and the four guys that I managed were just dumping food into the dumpster. Perfectly edible food. I still had my catering van. I would fill it up and like drive it to the 
the food donation food center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the company didn't let me buy the containers to put it in properly. They didn't mm-hmm. let me hire or divert my staff to packing mm-hmm. up food for donation. They didn't give me anybody to help make the phone calls to find placement for all this food. And the volume it of food like, get was rid of it. so insane. There was mm-hmm. nothing to do with it without the manpower. I think like one of the biggest misconceptions is that if if you don't want something, you can just donate it and that's free. You're doing no, it yeah, out of no. the goodness of goodness your heart. Of your heart, yes. You're not. It costs you're money. Not, it takes you're manpower them. or yes. woman power. Yes. You need to make sure it goes to the right spot. Otherwise, yes. you're just putting donations should, on places that also don't have the manpower to sort through yes. it or make the connection for it. Do you, I've talked about this on the show about like when there's natural disasters, like remember after the Sandy Hook, there 60,000 teddy bears showed up to that town. Like right. think about the, your effects of your donation. Why are you donating this? What do you need from this? Are you trying to make yourself feel better? Or are you exactly. really helping the other person on the other end of this? And that absolutely goes with food and absolutely yes. goes with like thrift stores. Clothes by the and way. thrift stores. Yeah. Yes. I'm right. like, what are you doing? You now have overwhelmed Goodwill with right. just garbage. Right. You know? anyway, that's a whole nother than American problem we have. That's a whole nother episode. Right. right? But let's get back to your food. <laughs> yeah. But it's very yeah. much the case in yes. food as well. Um, so that was where I, you know, I had always been concerned about food waste running a main street, you know, small business because yep. that was my income. I, there was, you know, one month where we wasted a lot of food, just, uh, you know, poor planning and mm-hmm. overbuying and it's this slow trickle, but uh-huh. suddenly it was like $15,000, which should have <laughs> been my salary. And, uh-huh. oh, look, suddenly I made $0 personally this month to pay my bills because mm-hmm. it was all just wasted food in the trash can. So mm-hmm. it was something I always cared about from a small business Mm-hmm. staying alive mm-hmm. standpoint. But then mm-hmm. when I saw it on this scale and was, I knew I wouldn't last at this company very long and I knew I right. needed a new business, I thought maybe I could get into this somehow. But then it was another unlikely source, not Google this time, but it was Donald Trump oh. actually getting elected and making everybody feel very sad on you know, very many levels. <laughs> but somebody the day after he was elected mm-hmm. said... Um, you might not be able to change this, but Mm -hmm. every one of us has something, some expertise that we can speak to. What do you know about? What do you, what are you most worried about in this administration and what can Mm -hmm. you do about it? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, food waste, I'm worried about the planet and they go together. And I know more about what individuals do at home and how they could cook. And, you know, I've cooked for literally tens of thousands of people. I've seen the insides of, if you drive with me around San Francisco, I'm like, been in their house, been in their house, been in that house, been in that house. (laughs) I've seen their refrigerators. I've seen their trash cans. I know who has two dishwashers. And and I thought, oh, I could teach people about this. So that's Mm -hmm. what I will do. And so that's how I started the first version of Ends and Stems, which is what I do now. And the idea was to help people at home stop wasting so much food, um, Mm -hmm. which is a tiny, you know, building block on the way to being a little bit more sustainable or, you know, reducing some of the methane emissions. So right in and of itself, it will not save us, but it is a piece of it and it's a mindset and it's, uh, it's something you can do that's easier and cheaper than buying an electric car or putting panels on your house or, you know, any of the other things because you already have the food in your fridge. All you have to do is eat it and not put it in the trash can. So right. it's a good one to talk about. 
oh, my husband, when he's listening to this, he's going to be like, oh, you love this. <laughs> like I can come up with the best meals. Yes. When it looks like we have nothing. Yes. When it looks like we have nothing, I come up with some doozies. And he's and I'm, every time I'm like, <laughs> look at that looks like we had nothing in the fridge. <laughs> oh, look at this. But meal. we do. <laughs> look at I had eggs. I love and it. I had those sausages. And like, I pulled the kale from the salad that had a little bit of Perfect. vinaigrette on it. And you know, like, I, oh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> exactly. But do you know most people can't do that? Um, and that's <gasps> oh, yeah. obviously an estimation. But yes. many, many, many people no, cannot I know do that. that. I have been and, at other people mm-hmm. when they've cleaned out their fridge and I'm like... <gasps> Right. (laughs) And it's just easier on those nights to order pizza or do something else. Or um, so my favorite customers and followers are the people who are almost there and they Mm -hmm. feel like they want to be like that, but Mm -hmm. they aren't quite. So my favorite compliments are when people say, I made this. I almost threw it away, but I thought of you and instead made this. And that's what it's all about, and I love, um, it. I love it so much. When I get mm-hmm. those DMs, it is my favorite, favorite <gasps> thing. And now I'm gonna tell do you, because oh, <laughs> this yes. is something that my this is an active conversation that we have, and it came from we lived very remote. We lived yeah. in a town that resources were limited, food was very limited, and and I think that's where I really honed the skill. But I've always. Um, I always ate leftovers for breakfast. I was yeah. like a teen. I loved that. I mean, like mashed potato leftovers. Like so I'm so, I'm be too. I actually my... dislike most breakfasts. So Same. yeah, I, I had a kid sandwich like that for too. breakfast today. Yep. I have a, I have a kid that I, we make crispy crowns every morning for. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. Yep. I use a meal planning app called Plate Joy. Oh yeah. And Perfect. They're, yeah. They're one of those that, um, Really, I because I, I've used a couple before and I've used yes. box meals um, when we lived remote. That was really it. But one of their big things is to reduce the weights. Like the, yes. like if you have spinach, you're gonna have it in two recipes that week. Yes. If you have, you know, they're they're really uh, conscious of that. And I yep. could tell a huge difference from yep. the the other meal planning app that I've, I've yep. used. But anyway, so that's my own personal mm-hmm. ends and stems is mm-hmm. a meal planning web app. So you use it online, but it's the same The same thing. So it puts, Mm -hmm. you know, three recipes together that fit together. Mm -hmm. Plate Joy is a little more AI backed. So you put in one meal and it gives you recommendations for other meals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My differentiation is more like your personal chef is planning these meals for you. So I plan your three meals and suggest this is what you should have. But also my focus is busy families and making one meal to feed your whole family. So my other passion is to help moms because it's still always moms. <laughs> Wait, let me finish your sentence. To, Stop making from, kid meal. From making kid meals. So ding, I, ding, ding. I'm pointing to myself, everyone. My I sister is going, make, you will make three meals is what my sister is saying in my background. Yeah. Cause anyway, I'm celiac. So that uh-huh. is a little harder if you're uh-huh. not feeding your kids that way. Like if you're uh, like, yes, that's a, the, the allergy, <laughs> especially one that's so severe yes. is, is kind of in a different category, but for yes. the most part, yes. I want people to cook one meal. And then as you're cooking this, you know, mm-hmm. here are the bits and bobs and here's how you pull it out. And here's how you at least have like one set of ingredients. Mm-hmm. And then this is the grown up version and here's the kid version. And so it's a, it, it speaks to that a little bit more than okay. like plate joy, which I think 
also helps with that. I know they have a kid-friendly section and stuff as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But their big thing for when they got started at least was also like coordinating with Weight Watchers. And Mm -hmm. I think they get some companies health services to pay to so same but we are absolutely two sides of the same coin for sure yeah so that is the solution with my i always you know openly joke it's my ulterior motive to get you to waste less food so you follow these Mm -hmm. meal plans one of the big uh environmentalists talks about it as an effortless social solution so this is an Mm -hmm. effortless way to get you to waste less food because you're only worried about oh my god it's 4 p.m what's for dinner Yes. So I've laid the plan so that mm-hmm. you'll waste less just by following my plan. You yep. care about the plan, not at first because you care about the planet in that moment, but because you need to get dinner on the table. But then later you go, oh, hey, we didn't waste as much food. And then you yes. feel really good about it. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of this. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't know this before we started talking about how similar, like I've had this experience. I am yep. a working mom. My husband and I are entrepreneurs. We have no time. And the worst p- moments of our like careers are when it's five o'clock. I'm like, what are we having oh for dinner? Yes. And we lived in a place that didn't have fast food. I have a severe allergy. Like we have just opened a business in January and I actually gave myself a pat on the back and I was like, we have eaten at yeah. home every night we have not like, because it's hard for me to get fast food. I can't yeah. just go through a drive-thru. Yeah. So I have to make dinner. Okay, there is Chick-fil-A. I've had, I yeah. did have Chick-fil-A, you know, because I can have their, anyway, that's a total I think it's harder to be celiac now than it even uh-huh. was before everybody and their brother was gluten-free, but not yes. really gluten-free because yes. I've seen what chefs and restaurants say when you tell them you're celiac and they're like, yeah, right. Yeah, Nobody right. believes you anymore because uh-huh. everybody jumped on the gluten-free bandwagon for you know, yes, maybe. it's out of it's out of fashion now. I do believe. I believe keto has taken over. So obviously, too. and also dairy free, which is a little yes. bit keto. But so I always Plant actually based, yes, we could have another conversation <laughs> yeah. separately. Here's the arc of my career. I started mm-hmm. in the Atkins diet and then was given the South Beach book, and that's yep. what everybody requested. And then after South Beach started going out of fashion, we started getting into just general gluten free <laughs> sensitivities. Uh-huh. And then a little bit kind of vegan popped in there, but then we went back to everybody was gluten free. Mm-hmm. And now we've come through to, oh, paleo, then came paleo. paleo. Uh-huh. And then paleo morphed into keto and dairy free. And yes. do we have Whole30 in there somewhere? <laughs> oh, yeah. Whole30 was in the paleo phase. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. that is the other outline of my career cooking for individuals yes, who would tell me what they want to eat. But the gluten-free one would kill me when I would cook for, you know, I'd cook five meals for a family. Mm-hmm. I'd make them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they'd be like, gluten-free. Everything has to be gluten-free. Everybody's allergic to it. And then they'd come home with like... Donuts. Cookies. Dad's drinking a beer. You're, and I'm yeah. like... I just busted my butt to make all your stuff gluten-free. You're not even gluten-free. You don't even care. (laughs) Why did you make me do it this way? (laughs) This was a fad for you. It's really, it's very tricky because I don't know that there's another fad diet that actually has like an, and it's not even um, an allergy for me. It's an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Like, so it's it's a real weird situation that I'm in. And I got diagnosed in 2016, which was like the height of it all. And I live in rural Texas and, you know, I lived in a town that was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Accommodating, but I don't really anymore. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, I, I get the question all the time. Oh, you can have that as cheese in it. And I'm like, no, I, I, I can't have the bread. Like, right. Give me all the cheese, right. <laughs> you know? So anyway. Yeah. 
But I do think everyone I know who was gluten-free for a little while has... Not everyone. There are a handful, but the vast majority have have now moved on. Got back to... Yes. Many have settled on dairy-free. Yes, that's the new. Got it. Mm-hmm. Well, glad we, glad we went over that arc too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I describe it to people that way all the time, actually. Because uh-huh. oh, clients yeah. would send me the Atkins book, and then they would send me, oh, have you read the South Beach book? Here, you need to read this so that I can. I just, because I'm getting all sorts of weird orders at my business where I'm like, heavy cream and sugar-free chocolate? Like this, is this? And I'm asking my staff, I'm like, what diet is this? Yeah. And they're like, paleo. And they, um, somebody would say, it does relate a lot to Atkins. They're like, remember Atkins? Yeah, it does. It's, it has very similar. Right. Anyway. Okay, now that we've talked about that for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell me, <sighs> tell me like what your business looks like now. You know, do you have a facility? Like, tell me about it now. Yes, this is my facility. Nobody else I know you're listening, but this is my yeah. home office is my facility. Yes. I was working at home before COVID happened. Oh, okay. Um, You're so a primary adopter. Early a, adopter. I, exactly. I am. Um, I actually remember in the early days of this, my husband said, oh, have you heard of Zoom? This thing called Zoom? Like, yeah, I've been Zooming people for a year and a half. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's, I'm an internet tycoon. Now. Yes. <laughs> You're not cooking I'm, so much. Let the record show. I'm not saying that with a straight yeah. face. Yeah, no, she's not. <laughs> yeah, Ends and Sims is a monthly subscription. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the apps you pay monthly for. It's like twelve mm-hmm. fifty a month. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of free content out there if you follow me online and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I do all of the recipe testing, writing, mm-hmm. Before COVID, I had a photographer, and now I'm sort of getting into the food photography. We'll see if that sticks around. It's not mm-hmm. my favorite. I liked working with the photographer. But basically, in my house, I am writing, mm-hmm. testing, styling, and then doing all the photos and all that. Cool. Uh, but I also have an editor, and mm-hmm. um, I have a brand new partner who's... We'll see what she wants to be called. I, I think she is a co-founder, really. She was the one who helped design and turn it from this is my idea I'm doing it with pdfs and emails to Mm -hmm. making it an app and she's kind of officially joining me now on digital marketing and and all of that and Mm -hmm. then um, I work with a lot of other contractors too so when I need something it's usually contract work so if it's data entry or uh, like I said I have an editor who's Mm -hmm. who's worked for me with me for two years making all that happen Mm -hmm. but it's mostly just it's mostly just me and the internet is uh, yeah. the business and, you know, trying to make a big splash as you do on when your business is, you know, runs on Instagram and mm-hmm. and the internet. But um, it's great. It's, it's fun. I feel like it's a, you know, it's kind of a small business. So we're really uh, flexible. We can kind of change direction. Um, there's lots of ways to get information out. The sort of mini COVID pivot was to do more virtual cooking classes, which I started doing in the fall. Mm -hmm. So now I actually have a couple companies who will pay for their employees to have a meal planning subscription. And then they also get a monthly virtual cooking class, which I think will continue even after people go back to offices. That's like a, as a corporate bonus, benefit or whatever. Got Mm -hmm. it. Okay. And I do think of all the virtual things, mm-hmm. all the class type things that went virtual, cooking classes mm-hmm. make the most sense to me because especially for the way, for what I want to get across in my virtual cooking classes, which is here's how you make dinner for your family tonight. You're going to be doing it in your home kitchen. So this isn't like here's a uh-huh. cheesecake making class. It's be in your kitchen while we take this class. Use your own equipment. So you can and pause it. <laughs> Yeah, so I think my classes make a lot of sense even post 
post-COVID pandemic, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been fun. So we do those and, you know, other types of events and, and things like that. Um, Very cool. Very cool. I love the, the um, like the, how you started. Remind me again what, what the position was. You were in like sales. You in turned sales. Off all your, yeah, 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 yeah. You turned off all your sales calls. Remind me where that was again, though. Um, it was called the Cord Blood Registry. So right, right, right. Like, yeah. Right, but like it, it started and then you went to, like you've now put it all together. That's what I'm yeah. saying. You know what I mean? Like you've now been like, and all these skills are coming together at this point. I think one of the things I most have learned and believe is that mm-hmm. everything does make sense. Even if you feel like you're really zigzagging, mm-hmm. I really, and it, like when I was hiring people or even as I'm hiring people now, or even just working with people in general, mm-hmm. as I watch my kids grow up and the things that they learn how to do, I really think their transferable skills are a real mm-hmm. thing. And and yep. the hard part about it is you might not know how to explain to a hiring manager why this skill is going to be useful. You might not even know why this skill is going to be useful. Mm-hmm. But I really think the more interested we are in things, the more we expand what we are aware of. Mm-hmm. the more useful in any given role we become. become. So it can feel very frantic or scattered, but right. I think everything I've done makes sense now, mm-hmm. even at the time when I felt right. like I was flailing it or it mm-hmm. didn't make sense. I do struggle from always feeling like I'm running out of time or I'm behind. That yeah. is like one of my biggest yep. like That's a kitchen leftover thing, right? <laughs> it, I just I constantly yeah. am like, oh my God, I'm I'm 40. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Yes. Oh, I don't have enough time. I should have done this two years ago or somebody right. else is doing this. And so that's my own personal, mm-hmm. I don't think that's really a great way to be. I don't even really believe it, but I like, feel it all the time. Yeah. Yep. But I do think is you're zigzagging around and, you know, I suppose that's what I would tell my younger self, not that the sales job was a waste of time or anything, or not that I needed or didn't need to get on this sort of perfect career growth track, but that it would all still be useful yep. later. Yeah, but it's some, really hard to see way. in the moment. Uh-huh. That's, you know what that reminded me of is when um, moms come back to the workforce and they try to talk about like what they've been doing the last few years, right? Yeah. Where it's really relevant experience in any sort of work environment to be able to, you're running a little business, you know, out of your home of, um, but it, it, it's hard for women to talk about um, what skills. I think skills. we don't, we as the working world, mm-hmm. and I mean, even women are treat other women badly about mm-hmm. this, but mm-hmm. we don't, we won't let a mom returning to work talk about those skills in a way that mm-hmm. relates to work. So right. we've kept it very compartmentalized. We've, yeah. We're unwilling right. to see that. I actually had an employee mm-hmm. who he was a barista mm-hmm. and he was just, he was a wild, he just, he was funny. He was out there. He was eccentric. He was silly. He like never did what he was supposed to do, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh-huh. he, but he was also very lovable. Uh-huh. He was unique and a very cool guy. And, oh, but I used I, to get really frustrated with him, but like the type of frustrated where I couldn't truly be mad at him because mm-hmm. he was too lovable to actually be mad at even when mm-hmm. you wanted to like wring his neck for not doing what he was supposed mm-hmm. to do yep and he told me one time and I was significantly older than him and mm-hmm. he told me one time that 
I loved all the baristas because they were just training me for when I had kids. And I was like, kids are going to be so much easier than you. Than you. (laughs) We were both right. Kids are easier than him. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But they were also training me in a way and vice versa. Like, I I think I would handle them differently now, having seen sort of the chaos of kids. But the Mm -hmm. chaos of managing that crew was also priming me to be very relaxed about handling the chaos of kids. So. Oh, I did it at the same time. I don't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> I had my first kid the same year we opened our first business. So it so was tough. at the same time of trying to grow those things. But anyway, do you have anything else to share with everyone about your journey before before we kind of wrap things up? No, I think, you know, I'm, I still feel like I'm on it. I still have a lot mm-hmm. I want to do with ends and stems. I think there's a lot of potential. I'm, I'm getting a lot of exciting mm-hmm. opportunities with it. You know, I'm now the like food waste spokesperson for Alameda County with their like it's like a government agency but I make content and they you know blasts out my tips on how to not waste strawberries and so I think what I would even tell myself I'll say this but I don't know if I Mm -hmm. fully always believe it but I will tell myself that it's it's still a journey from here right there's still going to be times where I'm like I don't really know why I'm doing this maybe is this Mm -hmm. off to the side too much is this a dead end but I'm just hoping that if I keep kind of staying interested and engaged and zigzagging through that Mm -hmm. 20 years from now when I look back from this point to that point I'll see that those skills added up so I hope it I hope it continues in that way and maybe I can just be a little more chill about it sometimes. <laughs> Don't shit all over yourself though. <laughs> cool. Um, I have I have ten fun questions. Okay. I forgot to tell you that at the beginning. Let's do that, and then we'll do uh, where we can find you. Okay. What was your first car? I had an old Audi. Ooh. Hand me down luxury car. It was amazing. Uh-huh. It had no heat in it, but it had a seat heater. Uh-huh. So if you were in the driver's seat, you were you fine. Were warm. And this was in New England, so we were freezing. But uh-huh. so it was, it, yeah, it was like a twenty-year-old Audi. Um, I loved oh. it. It was a oh, lovely I love car. It. I don't think I've seen an Audi outside of New England. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot in San Francisco, but they are like okay. ninety thousand yeah. dollars, like not a scratch on them. This was like. Okay. I can rephrase that. I don't think I've seen an Audi in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? (laughs) When did you get your period? You know, I listened to some of your podcasts and Uh I heard you ask other people that question. Uh I cannot remember. (gasps) Everybody had a story. I have literally no memory of it. And I I would would just like to say, like, thank you to my mom for that. She just made it Uh very normal. It was not a big deal. It was Mm -hmm. not. So I think it was just something that happened. And I absolutely cannot remember. I've been thinking about this now for days. Right? <laughs> there was no trauma. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't, you know, now they she do parties. She must have prepared you well. Yeah, I feel like she was just really honest and open mm-hmm. about that stuff. She was never really shy about mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. sort of body or growth stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just have no memory. I can't, mm. none. That's amazing. Yeah. Then you know this on the toilet paper, over, under, or you don't care? Always over. Okay. And then yeah. do you change and it? I care very much. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what was the last book you read or what are you currently reading? I love reading. Um, I love reading novels. Mm-hmm. I'm always reading a novel. I can't remember a time I went to bed at night without reading at least for like oh, 15 or great. 20 minutes before falling asleep. And I just last night finished a book called The Glass Hotel by okay. Emily St. 
Mandel something, um, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. I really loved it. It was great. It was like there was like a Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme and a no. glass <laughs> hotel in the middle of nowhere and two kids that sort of disappear. Yeah, no, it was oh, great. Okay. It was really good. Glass hotel. Cool. And then next, I got to see what my book club is reading so I can catch up. Oh, very good. So you're a chef, so but you'll understand this one as well. Cilantro, yes or no? Yes. Yep. But yes. yeah, I'm sure you've come across people that are like, never put cilantro in anything because it tastes like dish soap. Yes, right? but it yes. does. It's one of those genetic uh-huh. things where it yes. actually tastes different to people. I can't understand because it tastes amazing to me. It smells yeah. amazing and I love it, but Isn't it is fucking fascinating. It is crazy. Though? Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. But um, okay. all the cilantro for me. Me too. Um, and I asked that just to know, and it's quite common. People have answered like, yeah. no, it tastes like soap. And, or like, I know I'm mean, my mom, it tastes like soap, whatever. Anyway, when you, you know, we're at your shop or when you go to a shop now, when you order a latte, what kind of milk do you order? Whole milk. Oh, the chef's classic. <laughs> Can you drive a standard transmission? Yes, my Audi was a standard transmission. Yeah. So that, that's all my parents had. That's how I learned. And uh-huh. I drove a standard, when I moved to San Francisco, I drove a Jeep Wrangler that was standard transmission. We drove in it around. In San Francisco. In San Francisco for years, actually. But um, I have, it's been a long time since Impressive. I have driven one. I also used to drive, one of my favorite jobs ever was a um, frozen lemonade salesman. Oh. So it was like... Uh, it was this regional specialty where I grew up. It's frozen lemonade. You drink it, you know, mm-hmm. like an ice cream slushy mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So I drove a box truck, like basically a big lemonade truck. Uh-huh. It looks like an ice cream truck. And it was a floor, you know, a three-gear uh, okay. floor uh-huh. shift with no door, no windows. Nice. So You're I drove really... that bad boy around for a while. Best job I ever had. Very nice. Um, your family of origin, obviously, you know. Uh, where are you in the birth order? I think you mentioned a birth I'm the oldest. Right? Of how many? Um, I have a younger brother who uh-huh. I grew up with, and now I have two younger stepsisters who oh. I was graduated college when they became my sisters, mm-hmm. but now it's been 20 years, so I very much consider them my sisters. I just very never cool. had to. We always joke we got the best of both because we have four siblings as a grown-up, which is a lot of fun and chaos and interesting. And you can but create only different had factions. one when you were a kid? But I, didn't, I only had to share a bathroom with one. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Um, what was your kindergarten teacher's name? Miss Brown. I had a Miss Brown a couple weeks ago. Miss Brown. Mm -hmm. My daughter's in kindergarten this year, so it's interesting to think about when I was Mm -hmm. in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And and it just I asked that because it it, like I love to hear people's memories of what imprinted on them from then, and whether some people are like I have no idea. Yeah, and I love it. Uh, What's your middle name? My middle name is Mary, but it's supposed to be Clement. I tried to take my maiden name into my middle name. But mm-hmm. when they did my social security, when I, after I got married, they uh-huh. messed up on the form. And I had waited in line for like five hours. And I was just like, whatever, I'll be whatever oh, you want me to be. Yeah, right. yeah. Now for like 11 years, I have the wrong middle name. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> Very Julia Roberts. What do you want my name to be? Yeah, so legally it is Mary. But I sometimes I tell people it's Clement because in my heart, it's that's what it is. Right. Someday I'll cool. fix it. Yeah, I love it. Oh God, the Social Security office. I know. Oh, it's worse. I than just the let DMV. the city name me. Sure. Yeah, I love it. Um, was Mary your middle name before? Or Mary completely- was my middle. Name. Oh, okay, good. Oh I just God. was like, no. did they just throw in anything? No, they just didn't. Ch- okay, I'm gonna tell it that way next time. No, my- yes. <laughs> My, my parents middle- named me Jane, and then Social Security just wrote Mary, and I took it. Like, I was like, wait, hold on. Did I misunderstand that? Like, they took it. It'd be way funnier. That would be 
<laughs> it was supposed to be Jane, and they said Mary, and I'm like, whatever, you know. That would be amazing. Amazing. Uh, where can people That's find really you and sign up for your uh, meal plan service? Ends and Stems is a website. That's where you're going to mm-hmm. find out all the information. But um, if you're just poking around, find me on Instagram. I do a lot mm-hmm. on Instagram, lots of free tips, and it's just mm-hmm. at Ends and Stems. My website is lajoysociety.com where I have all the, like I have all the episodes posted there, by the way, anyone, if you're ever looking for a way to listen, not in a um, listening app, I, I have them linked all right there. I've never mentioned that, that there's a whole uh, page called podcast and there they are. And rate the show, review the show. We talk about it every week. We talk about it at the top of the show. We talk about it at the bottom of the show. It's how you can help me reach new listeners. And so I appreciate y'all. And all right. Go find ends and stems, and uh, we'll meet here again next week. Okay, bye, y'all. Everything up to this point has led me here, and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense have felt so wrong and out of place now. Cards left on tables and cards played